All right, we've been in a, a conversation. We're talking about bearing fruit. And last week, uh, we talked about um, the negative side of bearing fruit. And this week, I'd like to start off with this uh, verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 52, uh, and it's verse 8, and it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring uh, good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Now, this verse does not make a lot of sense to us because it's, we're not in the context of it. Uh, but Jerusalem is up on a mountain. And often, if there was a threat to the country or a time of war or something like that, couriers would be going back and forth between the different armies and that kind of stuff. And if the Lord were to do something, and there's several stories in the Old Testament where he miraculously uh, turned armies away, or he miraculously um, detoured them or did something else, the couriers would come back and say, the threat is over. So it's not like Sunday we sit here today going, you know, I hope church is good and will the Seahawks win or lose, okay? That's the biggest tension we're facing. This was like, we might die tomorrow. What kind of news is coming over the hills? And when the couriers would come with their feet and they would bring good news, but they brought, they came with their feet, but they announced with their mouth, right? They spoke it out. And when they spoke it out, they would say, you're safe. God has saved you. Your God reigns. And there would be great rejoicing because they knew what? They weren't going to die tomorrow. Okay, you tend to rejoice a little more when you know that. And so this is that verse in this context, but it brings the idea of uh, a positive or a, a proclamation of our tongues that's a blessing. Last week, we spent some time uh, talking about the power of the tongue uh, for good or evil, right? And we said that we will reap what we sow with our words, either our words we use, or maybe even more importantly, the words we don't use. Sometimes some of us who are non-word people say, well, I'll just not say anything, then I'm not in trouble. No, because we're emotionally starving everybody else around us. Because the people around us desperately need to hear a word of encouragement or affirmation or blessing from us, and uh, we fail to give it. And that's almost as bad, if not as bad, as saying something uh, bad. Matter of fact, sometimes kids will act up just to get a reaction. If they can't get it by being good, how are they going to get it? By being bad. I'll get attention one way or the other. I will force you to notice me. And so if you can give a word of blessing, a lot of times that's just uh, fills their soul. And so th- this morning we want to talk about uh, how, to, how to do that. Uh, I want us to, to see this issue from God's perspective um, and, and kind of see how serious this is um, because we want to consciously cooperate with being a conduit, right? If God bumps us and says, hey, say a word here or say a word here, we want to be able to respond and respond quickly and respond right, right? So that... Um, we can be used as a blessing. And we can bless people both by actions and words. Think through your life. Anybody ever done something really kind for you? Or anybody, anybody said something that just, you just went, oh, thank you. Wow. Right? Sometimes not even word. How about a hug? Somebody just walked up, knew you were in pain, hugged you, and went on, and that was just like, spoke more than words could speak. Right? It, the idea here is that we are... Um, being obedient that way. Now, last week we talked about the battle of the flesh, right? The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh and they are in opposition to each other so you cannot do what you want. We talked about that battle inside of us uh, that occurs. Here's the thing about the flesh. When you think about the flesh, 
If you're operating in the flesh, one of the questions was, how would I know if I'm operating in the flesh? Often it comes out of your tongue. Second thing is it tends to be a curse. You tend to curse the people around you. You tend to um, put them down. You tend to find fault with them. You tend to curse. And if you're in the spirit, you tend to bless. Okay? And you stop and you think about it and you tend to say words that really bless other people. And so when we're, we're looking at that, um, curse or cursing, that's kind of strong language, right? We don't walk around, you know, I don't go up to Jerry Lickey, I curse you, Jerry Lickey, you know, even if you're from Michigan. No, you know, Jerry and I get along fine, okay? We do, you know, we just don't do that, right? I mean, it's just not how we do it. So that kind of language is pretty strong. But I want to look at it uh, just quickly that we could identify it uh, because that's just too intensive a position. Let's look at the challenge we face through another word that I think we'll much more readily uh, identify with. Here's the challenge that we face. All right? In uh, Philippians 2, 14 and 15, it says this, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked or depraved generation. Do everything without complaining or arguing. James uh, clarifies this a little bit in chapter 3. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Uh, a lot of ways we goof up. But if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, why that's such a stunning statement is because we as humans do almost nothing without complaining or arguing. All right? And that's a nervous laugh of self-recognition. Yes, right? We grumble. Now, we usually do it in a certain way. Um, we often do it under our breath. And when we do it that way, we call it grumbling. In another translation, it says, don't grumble. What's grumbling? Grumbling is to mutter in discontent. You put the words in there, all right? To mutter in discontent or to complain in a bad-tempered way. Right? You've ever caught, gotten caught up in a spirit of grumbling? Just is not going your way. It's just not going. What, it's not doing what you want it to do. Grumble, grumble, mutter, mutter. Right? Complain. And um, now, when, when we talk about the natural pull of the fall, there's a whole series of words that go with this idea of grumbling or complaining. Let me read some of them to you. I think you'll recognize them. Um, some synonyms for this: fault finding. Critical, complaining, grumbling, we said those two, gossiping, slandering, raging. That, that whole malice, that whole word group is uh, reflective of operating in the flesh and operating. The, and what that is important is because I believe that that is the language in the spirit of hell. Okay? If you think of what hell is, it's one constant complaint or grumble against god and god says if you want to go somewhere and just grumble about me you're going to do it but not in my presence and that's what hell is is a whole bunch of people complaining and grumbling about god and you know take the fire take the pain out of it and all that stuff if you were just put with a couple million people all they did was grumble all the time wouldn't that be hell right now the opposite of it the opposite of it is um, 
blessing. Okay, here's the good news. Oh, let me, one, I missed one point here. Um, the other thing is, we don't tend to see this as a sin. And the reason we don't tend to see it as a sin is because somebody else did something to me. And Sophie, if you hadn't done that to me, I wouldn't be upset. But because you did that, I have a right to grumble and complain. No, Sophie's my buddy, right? And, right? and therefore, we wash it because we go, you made me grumble. You made me complain. I wouldn't grumble and complain if you hadn't done that. And therefore, in our eyes, we aren't doing anything wrong at all because we are responding to an injustice that we perceive. But if you want to get a picture of what this really looks like from God's eyes, all you've got to do is go into the Old Testament and and see how absolutely distasteful this is to him. Uh, Just look in Exodus and Numbers and read those two books and the stories and listen to God's complaint about Israel grumbling in the desert. Absolutely drove the Holy Spirit nuts to the point where God said, you know what? You can stay in the desert then. And they did. They didn't get into the promised land. And so we have to realize from God's side, this is a big deal and it it really matters. Now here's the good news. Our tongues can be redeemed. We can speak blessing into people's lives and we can give life to others with our words and with uh, our tongues. And we can say something and just, boom, really bless people. Um, Words that go along this with the Spirit are blessing, praise, encouragement, joy, thanks, gratefulness. All of those words are the Spirit and language of heaven. They're the Spirit and language of Jesus. If you think about your Jesus and how He talks to you, encourages you, those are the words that reflect Jesus' language to you. All right? The tape that plays that said God's not like that comes from the flesh and it comes from the devil and that's not the words. You're stupid, you're dumb, you're a loser, I'll never take you into heaven, who found you anyways, all those different types. Those are all tapes. We've got to learn not to listen to those and we've got to learn to walk in the language and spirit of heaven and not the spirit of the flesh. Just as we said a while back that the spirit of heaven, the language of heaven is truth Remember that? We said the language of heaven is truth. And what's the language of hell? Lying. Yeah, the language of hell is lying. So you have to recognize those, not just as things we do, but as driving principles that we operate off of. And which one are you anchored on? Which road are you traveling down? Because if you've got the theology of heaven, but you've got the language and spirit of hell, it doesn't go together very well. If you say you're saved, but all you ever do is complain... It doesn't work. And you're miserable and people around you are miserable because all they hear you do is complain. And so we want to be able to kick out of that. And how can then our our tongues... Now, we're actually commanded to bless. If you look at uh, this scripture here in 1 Peter, Peter says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. How easy is it to live in harmony if you're complaining and grumbling? You ever tried that in your marriage? Tried that in your family? Tried that in your neighbor how well does that work it doesn't it doesn't work right it says finally all of you live in harmony with one another be sympathetic love as brothers be compassionate and humble do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with what's the word blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a what blessing so we bless so that we can be blessed 
right? What is that saying? We talk like Jesus so that we can become like Jesus so that when Jesus comes back, he recognizes us. It's that simple, okay? It's not more complicated than that. And therefore, that means we've got to watch uh, how we talk. Now, the sharing of a good word, we, we can do it theologically, we can do all this stuff. I thought it'd be better to do it with stories, okay? What is being blessed by someone else? What does someone else's word speaking life into someone's life look like? And so I had four volunteers who called me up and said, Steve, I know what you're speaking on. I'd love to share on Sunday morning. And so I'm going to call my friends up this morning. All right, so guys, come on up. So it's my wife, and it's Bob Benoit, and it's Char Sewell and Brady Basem. So give them a hand. So you'll be, you'll be two. And honey, you get to go first. Here, I can, let me, let me move my stuff so you know. So growing up, I had an unusual awareness of God. I don't know where this came from, but it was. And I was very different from the rest of my family. I went to church as a child, and I grew up with a desire to do things right. This carried over into my junior high years where I watched friends doing things and knew they were not good things to do. And I determined my heart not to do them because I knew it would not please God. My husband, Steve, would describe me as a God-fearer, much like Cornelius in the Bible. All through these years, I had a sense of God talking to me, but I could never completely connect the dots. This continued all through college and my early adult years. When I was 26, I prayed to God and asked him to reveal where I could go to church. Somewhere out there had to be a church that offered more than what I had experienced, and that if I could find that kind of church, it would make a big difference in my life. So literally, the very next day, that um, prayer was answered. I received a call from my cousin Patty. My cousin Patty loved to play softball, and she'd begun to play with a group of women from a church softball league. One of the people that played softball with my cousin Patty was Carolyn Lucas, who was the choir director at North Shore Baptist Church. And when she learned of Patty's love of singing, invited her to come and be in the choir. Patty, of course, called me right away because we both love to sing and told me about this opportunity to sing in a church choir, and I thought it sounded like a great idea. So I agreed to join her in this adventure to this new church. It was at North Shore that I had one of the most amazing experiences in my life. Pastor Jan Hedinga was the pastor at that time, and as I sat in the audience, I was stunned, for he was saying all the things that I had been hearing God tell me over the years. It was like he read my thoughts, and then he spoke them in his messages. Plus, many of the questions that I had and pieces that were missing, he filled in, as if he knew where the gaps were and what my questions had been. You cannot believe how astonishing it was to hear another human speaking what I had thought all my life. And we had never met, let alone had a conversation together. Needless to say, he spoke life and blessing into my life on a level I had been searching for for years. He more fully explained Jesus to me and told me of his life that was available to us and how surrender worked. What a blessing. 
how refreshing. It was like a beautiful drink of nice, cool water for my spirit. I literally came to life in the Lord through the words of those sermons, and I will be forever grateful. I'm next. So 11,857 days ago, I walked into my first AA meeting. And... uh, And it isn't a place where I wanted to be. I, uh, I got in trouble with the courts and, and was sentenced to four meetings a week for two years. And when I walked into that first meeting, there was no way that I was going to be able to do that. You know, my other option was, was, uh, was jail. And that wasn't sounding good, so I stuck around the AA meetings for a little bit longer. Anyway, after, after a while... I know I called the person that sentenced me to that thing and tried to talk him into one meeting or two meetings a week or one a month or something, you know, but it didn't work. So I was forced to go to AA meetings for, for uh, four meetings a week for, for uh, two years. And I ended up probably going to six or seven or eight or nine or ten meetings a week and, and uh, did that kind of stuff. And, and at the time, our, my marriage was in, in trouble. I'd been married 12 years. Our marriage was in trouble. And and headed for the divorce, or a bunch of things were going on, and, and uh, to uh, then uh, about five years in into AA is when I found Jesus Christ, and and it and it totally changed my life. But through AA, I was able to to do all that stuff, you know. So so I changed completely. I did a complete changeover in my thinking. Everything that I did, everything that I thought, every place I went, I had to think a different way, you know, and, and, and it, it didn't take one day, you know. This is 11,857 days later. I'm still working on on that change. And uh been married for, for 44 years now, you know, and, and, and we are blessed with, with grandchildren, you know. And, and when I was first started AA, you know, Jail sounded good. Maybe I didn't want to be married. Maybe I wanted to get out of all this, you know. But God had a better plan. I liked his plan a lot better. So so 11,857 days later, you know, God has blessed me over and over and over. And I can never say how much. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's a person that I love today very dearly. Thank you. Hi. So I guess I volunteered for this. I <laughs> didn't know that. <laughs> um, so Steve has asked me to share about a time when God spoke directly into my life and changed my direction and the blessing that came as a result of submitting to his will for my life. And um, this is not my forte. I don't really like to stand up in front and speak. But um, when I found out what he wanted me to talk about, um, I decided that I would consider it a privilege to share just a very shortened version of the journey that the Lord divinely took me on in orchestrating my relationship and marriage to the man that he had chosen for me. So when I was in high school and early college, I dated quite a bit. And although I'm not proud of it, by the time I was 20, I had already been in three serious relationships resulting in marriage proposals. Thankfully, the Lord was protecting me in spite of myself, 
and I just knew that these relationships were not what he wanted for me. Although I walked away from them, they did take their toll on me, and by the time I was 21, I was at a point in my life where I was discouraged and just done with the whole dating relationship thing. 21. I was 21. <laughs> yeah. Um, I decided instead to focus on my studies and on building my relationship with the Lord. During this same time, a friend and I became involved in a college and careers Bible study overseen by a pastor and his wife who were longtime family friends. It was a good group of believers, and sometimes we hung out with each other outside of our study time. One evening, some of us were at a friend's house when they decided to go dancing, which was not my thing. So I decided to stay at the friend's house. I didn't want to go, and neither did one of the other guys. So we just stayed at the house and talked. Even though we had been in Bible study together for several months, it was not until this night when we were talking that the Lord chose to open my eyes and reveal to me that this guy I was talking to was going to be my husband. So this guy was the one that the Lord had purposed to complete me. And by the time I left that night, I was certain that I had met my husband and I hadn't even fallen in love with him yet. Yeah, that was a little odd. <laughs> it's an odd feeling. <laughs> the next day, I talked nonstop to my parents about this guy and was still talking about him at the restaurant we went to after church the next day when he walked into the same restaurant with some friends of his from church. It was meant to be. He met my parents, and we began dating. It was an exciting time, but it was also difficult for me because even though I was certain that he was the, will, the Lord's will for me. He was very different from the other guys that I had dated. And I had discovered that he was almost 11 years older than me, which at 21 is a lot. <laughs> so those of you who are doing the math, he was 32. He didn't look 32, but that's another story. <laughs> Although my mom had peace right away, about the fact that this was the Lord's will for me. It created a real struggle for my father and my friends. I'm the baby of the family, so that just magnifies the situation. My dad thought that Tom was a great guy, but at 32, he was just too old for his little girl. And my friends thought I was joking at first when I told them that I was dating him. They knew him, and... They didn't believe me, and when they realized I wasn't joking, they begged me not to pursue the relationship because he just wasn't my type, which at the time was true. They were looking at past relationships that I had been in, and he did not fit that mold at all. The Lord was faithful in providing wise counsel for my father from the very same pastor and his wife that were leading the Bible study whom he knew well and respected. They lovingly took him aside and told him that they were confident that Tom was the right man for me. And as my dad got to know him better, it became easier for him to accept that fact as well. I also had one good friend who was able to see God's hand at work and sincerely supported us. It became very obvious not only to me, but to those who knew me well that the Lord had finally brought me to a place where he could take me and turn me toward his will and his plan for my life and open my eyes to exactly what 
my type of guy was. Looking back, I believe that the Lord allowed me to experience what was not right for me so that in his time and by his leading, I would recognize and embrace what was and continues to be right for me. Tom and I were married on September 26, 1992. And for 21 years now, I have been blessed with the knowledge that I am with the man that the Lord lovingly and patiently prepared me for. It's both humbling and comforting to know that the Lord's plans for us are always better than our own, and that seeking and submitting to his will brings his blessings. It hasn't always been easy, but it has always been blessed. And I've, I've shared this next part with some of you before, but I wanted to share it again. And it's this. If ever I'm tempted to doubt God's love for me these past 21 years, and I've had reason to doubt on occasion, <laughs> but if ever I've been tempted to doubt his love for me or his hand in my life, all I have to do is look back at the man that he chose for me so much better than I would have chosen for myself. So I want to end with this verse. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of you know it well, but I'm going to read it. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, and then you will call upon me and you'll come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord and I will bring you back from captivity. So when I uh, called Steve up and volunteered for this uh, public speaking gig, um, of course you guys know that's not all true. Um, you know, Steve had pointed out to me that, uh, you know, I suffer a lot of public speaking anxiety and um, you know it starts pretty much from the phone call till the actual time and um, I had it all arranged to where I wouldn't even be here for second service and uh, but that didn't play out and uh, God had another plan but uh, um, talking with Steve he you know said hey you're doing this for Jesus not for yourself and uh, hopefully we're all blessed because of it um, so when Steve first called and asked me to, to share, he began with apologizing for the short notice. And I told him that the Lord and himself know me all too well. If he would have gave me a week's notice, I would have surely have found a way out of this. Um, um, when I look back on the people who blessed me with sharing Christ with me, um, two stand out. The first takes me back to my high school days. Um, from the ages of 13 to 17, I truly made a mess of life. Um, a lot of growing pains, bad decisions, friends and family hurt by my actions. Uh, drugs and alcohol played a huge part in who I hung out with and where I chose to spend my time. Um, this ultimately led to failing grades and attendance that nearly had me removed from school. Um, I spent a lot of time the spring of my junior year in the vice principal's office, as you can imagine. And uh, uh, long story short, that vice principal um, showed me an enormous amount of um, grace, patience. She somehow got me to focus on who I could become 
by eliminating my self-destructive behaviors. Um, I often joke about raising teenagers and how as parents, our voices are often muted when we try to redirect our children. Um, but a mentor or a friend can come alongside them and suddenly it's all clear, the same exact message. Um, this was the case for myself. The way my vice principal invested in me and the interest and the time and compassion that she showed and dedicated changed me in so many ways. So to all the teachers and administrators out there, anybody who works with um, teens, troubled teens, um, do know that there is hope. Um, the second person who blessed me with sharing Christ was uh, Dan Rupp. And for those who don't know, Dan Rupp was the founding pastor of Northview. Um, he pursued my family just relentlessly, um, myself. Um, I look back on it, and I'm just truly amazed on how Dan just never gave up. I rejected him. I, um, he would invite us to things, and we would say, nah, not this time. Um, I dodged him for over a year. Um, I was truly not looking for Christ, um, but he had a different plan. Um, so through the rejections of the invites, um, he still had a place in his heart to share Christ with myself and my family. Um, and this eventually led us to Northview in the beginning of a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for applauding them, because for several of them, it truly is an act of faith to get up front and, and share, and I deeply appreciate their courage, their courage to do that. You know, when you think about those stories, there was tremendous blessing in there, but it wasn't always obvious, even to the person that was being blessed or to the person who was doing the blessing. You know, if you pick apart the stories, uh, for Pam, what happened when she walked in, and if you listen, it, it's not just I walked into church, the pastor had a good message. Jan was literally using the words God, Jesus had spoke into Pam's heart as a little girl. She couldn't even make sense of them. And when she sat there, she was absolutely stunned. How had this man read her mind and how had this man discovered who she was? Now, think of it from Jan's perspective. It was a normal Sunday, right? It just was Sunday as usual. Now, like all pastors, he, like myself included, he certainly hopes his words have impact. He certainly hopes it has, right, effect. But most of the time, you walk out and go, well, it was another Sunday, Right? And you don't have any sense at all that something miraculous happened. Matter of fact, Jan doesn't. I'm going to call him this week and say, hey, you ought to listen to this message just to be blessed. But he had no idea what was going on in Pam. Matter of fact, he had never met Pam, had never talked to her. So someone was sitting in his audience and he put something together and it just happened to be that God by the Holy Spirit matched those two things and there was just phenomenal blessing in that. But Jan wasn't totally aware of that. And then think of a Bob. What turned out to be such a blessing for him was the thing he didn't even want to go to. I don't want no stupid AA. You know, you and your dumb 
AA can go AA itself somewhere, okay? I don't want to go there. I, ah, right? And yet the very thing he resisted the most became a channel not only to sobriety, which is a huge thing, but to a path to eternal life to Jesus. And so the very thing he resisted the most became the thing that was the source of the greatest blessing for him. Isn't that like us as humans too, by the way? We always fight what we want the worst, right? And, and then if you think in Charm's story, that guy? You mean the old duffer? <laughs> Sorry, Tom. <laughs> Are you serious? I want a swanky model. I want some horsepower. I want... That's not my type, God. Right? How many of us have said that? You know, and, 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 and God had a different plan. And I think what, Sh- what Char said is so significant. God's plans for us are always better than our own plans for ourselves. Boy, we must say amen to that, amen to that, amen to that. And how many times has God tried to bless us? It just didn't look like what we thought it would look like. Right? It just didn't. Wow, are you kidding me? Right? And yet, that was a double whammy. Not only did God have to talk to Shar, but he had to talk to her dad to boot. And those of us who have had parents know sometimes that's the greater miracle. We have no doubt he could talk to us. It's could he actually communicate to our parents? I doubt it, right? And the idea that God could actually break through not only to her, but also to dad, that's an incredible blessing. That's an amazing thing set up there. And then if you talk about Brady and his life story, Brady wasn't even looking for blessing. Brady was looking for wreckage. And he had created a lot of it. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't looking for, you know, and Dan's relentless pursuit, as he called it, Dan's faithfulness, uh, just to keep going, because he knew Jesus would be a blessing, not only for Brady, but for his marriage, for his children. And, and it has become, it's one of the stories of lore at Norfolk is how Brady and Sonia came to Christ. That was a very short Reader's Digest version, by the way. There's a lot more involved in that story. And it's one of the wonderful moments in our church history in, as that family came to Christ and now are major players and have been in our church forever. But it didn't look like blessing. It's just this obnoxious guy chasing him, right? So sometimes blessing can disguise itself and we have to understand that because sometimes when we go to bless people, we get this rebuff. We get this, you know, no thanks, I'm not interested. Or people walk away and we think, well, a lot of good that did. I might as well not do that anymore. It didn't have any effect. We don't know that. We don't know. We don't know how God will use our words. We don't know the power of it. We don't know um, what's saying something. Uh, in, in my case, the kids on our block, just talking to them when we're throwing the football around. Right, Jen? Just They're getting pretty good, too. And, uh, and you just have to keep saying those words of blessing um, because here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, Oops, I went too far. Miraculous things happen in ordinary circumstances, right? Miraculous things happen in ordinary circumstances. And often we don't realize what's going on that, that's actually taking place. I gave you these four stories. I'll bet you we could multiply that by a couple dozen times uh, as people here um, would share their stories as well as you volunteer to come up front. I want to put this verse up here. This is found in in Galatians. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. You ever get weary in doing good? 
Like, is it really worth it? Like, is it worth sticking? I mean, seriously, it just seems like the same old, same old, and nothing's really happening kind of thing. You ever get weary of doing good? Yeah, I've done this, I've pumped into this, and nothing came out of it. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll receive a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, in other words, as it presents itself, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. One of the things we forget about is the fact that when it says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, we're not finished products yet. Okay, We're still under construction. We still have a long way to go. Anybody in here perfect yet? Okay, Probably not, because if you were, you'd probably get enoch and taken up to heaven, right? Um, we're still works in progress, and we need encouraging words. We need to encourage each other. And, and so if God gives you a word for somebody and you just say, hey, I just feel like I should say something to encourage you, please make sure you do that. If God bumps you to write a note or to text somebody or to email somebody, you know, we got so many forms that we can do that in today. Make sure, because you, you never know what the impact of that would be. Just the, hey, I was thinking about you. I remember what you shared on Sunday. I just wanted you to know I was praying for you. I know that's tough. That kind of little thing just goes miles. You have no idea how far that goes and how many of us are starving for that kind of encouragement and that kind of good word that somebody else is watching my circumstances and is actually praying for me. Um, Many times I'll go up to people and say, I want you to know that we prayed for you specifically at the staff meeting and the board meeting on Monday. And you should see their eyes light up. Because they know if I say staff meeting, they know I maybe just made that up because it's a spiritual thing to do and pastors do that and they're not really sure to pray. But if I say we prayed for you at both the staff meeting and the board meeting, they know I can't get through both of those without actually doing it. Right? And it suddenly becomes a blessing because they know what? It was intentional. It was thought of, it was lined up ahead of time and we put that down and we spent time praying for them because we, we wanted them to be encouraged. So therefore, when we come to communion, the same uh, thing is there is let's not be, become weary of doing good. And in that, know that Jesus is not weary of doing good. And Jesus is not weary of speaking a good word, a kind word, an encouraging word into our hearts if we'll listen, if we get out of the complaining and grumbling side and come over here to the spirit side to listen, we will hear him say an encouraging word. But sometimes it's very hard to unplug from that to get to this, isn't it? Because they're tapes. They're long-running tapes. They're tapes that have run in our brain for years that we've got to learn. Those tapes are not our friend. You do not have to listen to them, but many times we want to listen to them because we just want to be angry. And you have to step out of that to hear the blessing. You know, when it comes to communion, there's two really good words or encouragements with communion. Word number one, I died for you. I died for you. You know what? You don't have to pay the price tag. I understand I took care of that for you. I covered it for you. It's washed. It's cleansed. It's under the bridge. It's gone. I took your burden 
You no longer have to carry it. It's washed in my grace. I stood in the gap for you. Will you accept that? That is a great word. And people who believe in that eat this symbol in memory of that word. The second great word, and it often gets lost in the translation of life, is I'm coming back for you. I didn't just find you. I'm coming back for you. I am coming back. Don't let that go away. Don't let that go out of your heart. Don't think that I'm coming back to punish you. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back to get you. I've got a place for you. And I know you. And you know me. And I'm coming back for you. And those who believe in that, drink that cup with that symbol. Let's pray. Father, we live in a very jaded culture, a very stab in the back. I get you, you get me. I don't trust what you say behind the scenes. You're going to pay kind of deal. And so our guards are extraordinarily up. We watch commercials. We know they're trying to sell us something that we don't need. We know they're selling us stuff that we don't believe in or don't want. And Lord, that often, unfortunately, really can get pasted on top of you that you're just as conniving, just as crooked, just as selfish, just as power-broking as everything else we see down here. We know that's not true, but we ask, Lord, that you would help us see it, that you would help us go back to the word of blessing that you spoke to bring life into our voice and life into our life. And Lord, that we can say encouraging words to others and that we can spread light just by our countenance and our actions. We can do it to our children. We can do it to our spouses. We can do it to our neighbors. Lord, would you help us embrace that and figure out with you how we could be a blessing with our words this week. It may be a new way and also maybe in a way we've done it for a long time and we just need to be encouraged to keep at it. May you speak to us. May we hear you. May we speak words of life this week to those around us that you've placed and may we bloom where we're planted and we ask this in your name. Amen.